so glad that you are here. Happy Sunday. Uh, Here's the fun thing about that little time is that if you're not in your favorite job currently, uh, maybe you could network. We're just trying to hook you up around here. So, uh, so excited that you're here. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at Existence Church, and I'm thrilled that you're here. Happy October. It's crazy. To me, it feels like it should still be summer, uh, but I love the fall, so I'm excited for October because uh, you can officially get pumpkin spice lattes now, and nobody will judge you, so it's cool. Um, but we are glad that you're here. Every month or so, uh, we walk through a new series, and today, as Katie mentioned, we're starting a new series called On Mission, looking at our new mission statement of empowering all people to love and follow Jesus. And as simple as that phrase might feel, as simple as that little collection of words might come to your ears. Ultimately, it's so important that we understand what that means and what it implies for you and for me as a community. Uh, And so we want to spend the next four weeks really walking through what does the scriptures teach? What do we mean by each of those four sections? Uh, Because each of those words was actually very carefully chosen. Uh, And it has huge implications for your life, mine, and where we're heading as a community. Uh, Because we know and you've experienced this at some point in your life, that, that as much as we talk about why we do things, why really matters. Like, I don't know if you watched the uh, season premiere of This Is Us. Uh, so if you did not and you're way behind, I don't even apologize for a spoiler alert. But there's a moment at the end where one of the characters realizes that something that she had said no to was actually her why. And she changed her mind because her why informed her decision. This is why I got into this business, why I got into this job, why I'm living my life this way. And so I shouldn't say no to that. Actually, as much as it's difficult, as much as it's complicated, as much as it might even be expensive, I actually need to say yes because my why determines my response. And so as we engage with this together as a community this morning for the next four weeks, we want to clearly understand what the scriptures have to say about each of these four components, where they came from, and why for the last 2,000 years the church has been on mission together. Okay, And so we're excited that you're here. But as you think about this idea of on mission, perhaps it feels a little foreign to you. But I want to tell you something that actually all of us are very familiar and actually even good at being on mission. You are already awesome at being on mission, whether you're in middle school, a senior in high school, or you're a senior adult. You are awesome at being on mission because if you and I were to have coffee one day and I were to ask you to tell me what do you hope is true about your life in 10 years, you would probably be able to explain a pretty clear mental picture of where that might be. You would be able to talk about what you hope to achieve in your career. Here are the things that I'm thinking about as I'm at my job that's not my favorite job that I want to create to be my favorite job, right? You could talk about what it is you want to be, things you want to do financially or where you want to travel or here's what I hope to be true about my life relationally in the next 10 years. Or here's the dreams I have for my kids 10 years from now. My three-year-old is going to be in middle school, and everything's going to fall apart in my life. I just know it, right? At that point, it's going to be crazy. So I need to prepare and have a vision and a mission for what I want to do. And the difference between a dream or an idea and a mission is that a dream or an idea is a picture of what could be. But mission adds the conviction that that picture of what could be actually should be. See the difference? When you have an idea of like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could go on vacation? A mission says, it's been a crazy year, life's been intense, business has been all over the map, we need a vacation. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to save for it, I'm going to schedule it, I'm going to plan for it. That conviction that says, not only is this thing possible, but it should be true, 
is what makes a dream or an idea into a mission. And so as we engage in this conversation for this next month and look forward to the future of what God has for our community, uh, before we jump into that, I wanted to pause and just take a moment to actually acknowledge a reality that all of us uh, know is true, but sometimes we don't know how to engage with it because this idea of mission, even though it's always future-focused, it always rages against the status quo of our life. And it always invites us out of our kind of comfortable and familiar and even, uh, you know, to be honest, appreciated reality that we might find ourselves in. And it's true in your business. It's true in your family. It might be true with your relationship with God. Something that desires, that you desire out in the future always requires a step for all of us. And yet whenever we experience something that changes, by nature of it, there's always an attachment of loss. Whenever something changes, there is always a loss. And for many of us, uh, we were never taught how to actually name and engage loss. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine this past week, and he was telling me about what he missed about being single. And, and he loves his wife, and, and they're doing great, but there's a loss about getting married. And you're excited about getting married, but you also, if you don't acknowledge the fact that now you don't just get to do what you want, you have to check in. Like, that's a loss. That's a change. And some of you are like, that's great. I'm so happy about that. But for other people, we all engage losses differently. And sometimes, whenever we have a loss and we don't know how to name it or grieve it, it actually can continue to linger around in our life. But if you're like me, you were never taught how to grieve. That, that how uh, I was taught how to grieve was basically just to deny it, replace it, and hope that time will fix it. And it wasn't on purpose. No one ever, like, sat me down and said, here are the three steps, how to grieve poorly, right? It's just what I saw, right? And so if we don't pause and name the fact that as we as a community step into a future that God has for us, as we engage in some of the changes that we are very aware are happening around here, that we have walked through together, if we don't acknowledge that in that space there's some loss that some of you, many of you, myself included, are feeling, that we will actually not be able to fully step into what God has for us down the line. That you and I, as human beings, because we're created in the image of God, cannot grab hold and take hold of what's in the future if we don't appropriately pause and let go and grieve losses of the past. And so I know, as a pastor of this church, that that is where we all find ourselves at some form of another. And perhaps you're a, a change-averse person, and you might say, I don't like change. Uh, maybe you love change, and you just change things for fun, and, and that's cool. Uh, this, this may not be as affecting for you for the next minute and a half, but for those of you that would consider yourself change-averse, I want to actually invite you to consider a new thought, that you're actually not change-averse. You might be loss-averse, which is true of all of us. Because, see, if I said, hey, at the end of today, as you leave church, uh, there's actually going to be a big change in your life. Uh, the, the bank, I don't know why they called me about your account, but let's go with it. Uh, they, they told me that uh, there's, they had a mistake and some paperwork. There's a big change in your bank account. And when you leave today and you go to the ATM before you get money to go to brunch, uh, there's going to be an additional $100,000 in your account. It's just a mistake. Big change. You would not be like, I am so upset. Some of you are like, this is church, right? Is that prophecy? Is that going to happen? Uh, I don't have that gift. I apologize. I really wish I did, especially in this moment, uh, and so do you. But like, like, you would not be averse to that change. But when change has a loss, it's important to acknowledge it. It's important to pause and not brush past that or bury that. 
And so for those of you that have been traveling with us in this community for years, whether it's been for, for a few years or all 15 in the story of our church, I want to let you know something, that I am aware that there are things that might not be super clear. There are things about our future that are still unknown. There are things about our present that we don't have all the answers for. There are things about the even recent past that have not been communicated super clearly. But as you leave today, what I want you to know that's so clear, I hope that as you leave today, if you miss everything else about this morning, that you walk out knowing crystal clear is this one thing, that I care about how you feel, that our staff and our leaders care about what it is that you're feeling, that we're not doing this on our own and it's just like get on board or get out of the way, that we actually want you to come with us. Because if you don't understand our why, you'll never say yes to the invitation to participate in it. And if what God is going to do in our future is even close to what I imagine he's promised it's going to be, I don't want you to not be there with us. And so wherever it is that you might find yourself on the spectrum of, of grief or loss or questions, I want you to know that I want to know. Our team wants to know. We want to answer those things. We want to help you make steps to move forward. We want you to come with us on mission. So does that make sense? So that's why we have those things. Last week we had a bunch of people come to our coffee chats, and it was super great to answer some of those questions. I would just encourage you, if it's emailing me directly or coming to some of those spaces that we're creating, we want to hear what it is that's happening in your heart. Because as we taught this last whole month through the series of Revealed, the church is not an organization or an institution. The church is you. And so I want our church to be healthy, which means I want you to be healthy. All right, so that's, that's the challenge as we begin these next four weeks. In fact, this entire sermon series for the month of October is in response to conversations and questions. People saying, hey, this new mission sounds great, but I want to know what we mean when we say these four words. I think, Kurt, you should talk through what the scriptures say about why we chose words like empowering. What do we mean about all people? That's going to be next week. What does it mean to love and follow Jesus? Are those the only things we're going to do? Why did we choose those two? And is it important to reference Jesus? We're going to talk about that fourth week of October. So I hope you're here for this entire month. But as we begin this conversation this morning, and we talk about our why, why would you start a phrase with the word empowering? Why would you start it with that? Because perhaps you've heard that in, a, in an HR context. Perhaps you've uh, you know, engaged in that in some other space. But when it comes to the scriptures, why is the word empowering important? And it's because ultimately what Jesus did when he came to the planet was turn the idea of religion up on its head. See, the, the structure of religion back then in the first century and even still to today, to today is that actually it takes power from us. That you, you come and you sit and you watch and you check the box, but there's not really anything for you to do about it. There's not really anything for you to participate in. There's certainly not anything for you to give. You just come and listen and, and feel bad about yourself, and so that must be, I must be close to God. I feel bad about myself. Uh, you know, maybe that was your upbringing. That was certainly mine, right? And when Jesus shows up on the planet, which ultimately is what led him to be killed, was that he was relentless about giving power and authority away. That, that if you are a person like me that said, I don't have all my answers figured out, and I certainly don't have my life all together, but I'm doing the best I can to run after this guy named Jesus, you got to understand, you are following perhaps the most empowering leader that's ever lived, I mean, imagine it, three years on the planet, like put this in a, in a context for you right now. If you're trying to launch a business, you only have three years, you have 12 employees, all volunteer, one of them will betray you, 
at the end of three years, right? Like, how would you go about engaging that group of people to even get outside of local acclaim, much less worldwide influence that here we are 2,000 plus years later, 2,000 or thousands of miles away, we're still talking about this guy. Like, how did that happen? How did the even idea of Jesus and the idea that the, the love and forgiveness that God was made available to us get out of the first century? When it was stuck between temple and empire, both assessing to crush it. How are we even here? And it's specifically because throughout time, throughout Jesus' ministry, and through the Holy Spirit ever since, God has empowered everyday ordinary people just like you and me to fulfill his mission. See, empowerment is an additive to what it is that we're trying to do here on this planet. So I was uh, putting some shelves up at our house a couple weeks ago. Um, and when we moved here, for some reason, uh, somehow lost in the shuffle, my drill got lost. Uh, so I didn't have a drill when we moved here. And I'm trying to put shelves up. Uh, and, and if I don't have a drill, I must not be a very masculine man. And so I literally was grabbing a screwdriver and holding the shelf and trying to like, eh, eh, eh. And it was taking, as you can imagine, forever. And Katie wasn't super thrilled uh, with my performance at that point. And she's like, let's just go to Home Depot and get a drill. Because we could go get one and come back before you'd even be done with that first screw that you're trying to do manually. I could solve this problem for you. And so we, we went to Home Depot and got a drill. Um, but see, the thing between a drill and a screwdriver is that they actually do the same thing. They actually accomplish the same goal. This one just has the power. And there's something that happens in your life and mine when we stop saying, I'm just going to work at it harder. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm just going to try to do better. And we say, God, there's something that you want to empower me to do, that you want to add your power to me. Because see, if you take the battery out, uh-oh, nothing happens, right? You know how this works, right? But when the power of God comes into your life, that is available to every single one of us, no matter where you're at this morning. The things that you naturally know how to do all of a sudden have more power, more potential, more opportunity in them than you could even imagine. See, the Bible even says that Jesus' final words on the planet, he says this incredibly arrogant phrase if it isn't true. He says, all the power in all the world, heaven and earth, has been given to me, and now I give it to you. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And they're like, how are we even going to get out of our little local context in Israel. He goes, no, 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 all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I have taught you. And remember, I'll be with you. The Holy Spirit of God is actually in every single one of us that decides to follow Jesus. So much so that Jesus promised his followers that later after he was gone, we would even do greater things than what he did while he was on the planet. And I don't know about you, I look in the mirror some days and I'm like, God, that was a bad plan. Like, like, why would you invite and include me? You could do it so much better without me. And, and there are times, there are times when I know in my own story because of my stubbornness or my sin or my doubt or just my inability that God moves around me or even in spite of me, if I'm honest. But you gotta understand something, that God's desire is to accomplish his purposes through you, not in spite of you, through you through me. That there are times I look around our world and our culture and the problems that we see and the you know, inequalities that we all experience and, and, and people's understanding of God and church that can get so far away, I believe, from what Jesus came to establish and talk about. And we can be like, God, I need you to do something. 
Where are you? Please show up and do something. Fix this. Why won't you move? I don't know if you ever prayed prayers like that. I know I have. This week. And yet I wonder sometimes if God doesn't say the exact same phrase back. Why don't you do something? Hey, Kurt, you care about that. It's, it's on your heart. What if that's actually an invitation from me to say, you can solve that problem through my power? That I'm actually inviting you to do something that you never thought you could do, but I believe that you can. Like, what if God says the same thing to us that we say to him, why won't you do something? And you have all the same excuses that I have. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I, I doubt myself. And yet, what if it's true that your participation is actually necessary for your transformation? What if in how God organized the world and created you, that your participation is necessary for your transformation? That there's something that happens when you and I step across the line and engage with what God wants to do? What if there are things that you couldn't even imagine, as the Apostle Paul would say? Couldn't even imagine that would be possible in and through your lifetime that God wants to do in your world, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this church. And he's waiting and inviting you to be available. See, as we think about this, this idea of being empowered and we specifically look at the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus was notorious for doing miracles in partnership with other people. I mean, this is part of the reason why I believe the Bible is true because if anyone was trying to just make a name for themselves and build a fairy tale, they would take all the credit for themselves. They would do it publicly. They would say, tell everybody about what I just did. I hooked you up. But instead, often what Jesus did is he empowered and utilized other people so that people would even be potentially confused at times as to what happened in the moment when he did a miracle. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this over and over and over again. We literally could pick out almost any passage and see how Jesus used other people in his miraculous work. But because I have the microphone, uh, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible in Mark chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 6. If not, it's on page 491 in this blue Bible. It'll also be up on the screen. But Jesus is teaching these people that have been beginning to follow him. And he is at the height of his ministry. There's, there's, as we're going to find out, thousands and thousands of people following around, listening to what Jesus has to say, listening intently, watching him do signs and wonders. And then he does this incredible thing in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 34. Maybe you have even heard this story before, but hopefully we're going to discover something new in it together this morning. It's going to have implications for your life and mine and even our community together. So starting in verse 34, Mark chapter 6, 34, it says, When he, meaning Jesus, went ashore, because they were out on the lake, he comes to the shore and he sees a great crowd. And watch this. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. If you miss everything else, perhaps what you came to church not knowing your soul needed to hear this morning was that when the God of the universe looks at you in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of you feeling, you know, you don't have what it takes, he looks at you with compassion, not judgment. And he moves towards you. This is our God. This is Jesus. That when you have struggles, when you don't know where to go, when you feel lost, when you've made a mess of your life, God doesn't pull away from you. He sees you and has compassion on you. 
So he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, because even Jesus' sermons went long occasionally, uh, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Jesus, it's hot. There's nowhere around to get refreshments. It's time to wrap it up. They're literally playing him off the stage. It's now late. Send these people away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Doesn't that sound like religion? Like, hey, you take care of yourself, and when you got it all figured out, come back. I don't know what it was that you were raised. I don't know what tradition you grew up in. I don't know how God has felt to you, but that's a lot like how God felt to me growing up. How you go, you, God, God's going to take care of those who help themselves, which is the opposite of the truth of the Scriptures. But that's what those followers immediately, they spent time with Jesus. They Still, they said that. I say that at times all the time. I want to solve problems by getting rid of them. It's not good marriage advice, FYI. Um, some of you are like, what? Okay. Um, send them out to get something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, don't miss this. You give them something to eat. You. To which his apostles, his disciples said, you were just in the boat with us. We, we don't have anything. Like, what do you mean? You, I don't, you, this is all I have is right here. What do you mean give them something to eat? So, of course, they come up with an excuse. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, which is the money at the time? Months, months and months of wages. Should we go and spend all this money to buy bread to give them something to eat? Like, that's ridiculous. Surely that can't be what you mean, Jesus. Surely you wouldn't want us to sacrifice something for someone else. And then Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And then he adds, go and see. Because oftentimes when I hear the invitation, what do you have, I look at the immediate circumstance. Well, I don't have what it takes. Well, I'm not educated enough. Well, my job's not as nice as hers. Well, you know, if, if I was, what do you have? Go and see, because Jesus always knows there's more in store than what meets the eye. That Jesus believes there's more in you than what you've experienced already. That Jesus believes that there's something that has yet to be birthed in your soul, in your imagination, and in your future that you can't even possibly imagine, but you will never find it if you don't go looking for it. And that's not just true about you. That's true about your finances. That's true about your relationships. That's true about the person you're married to. That's true about your kids. Go and see what is there. Go and see what we have. So the apostles come back, and they say, we have five loaves and two fish. In another writer's account, he tells us they actually stole a little Jewish boy's lunch to answer that question. So that's a good Sunday school story. We got five loaves and two fish. Uh, Mark breezes past that. He probably heard his information from Peter, and Peter forgot to mention that he sabotaged the kid's afternoon. Uh, but he says, great. So he, Jesus then commands all the people to sit down on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set out before the people. And if you've heard this story before, you know how it ends. Estimated there's 5,000 men plus women and children, somewhere between fifteen to 20,000 people sitting on this hillside. I mean, that was a good Chargers game in the day. Imagine standing before that many people with five pieces of naan and some sardines and feeling confident. Like, what do you do when what you have doesn't seem to add up to what you have in front of you, to the need and the circumstance that you're in? Like, when you have bills coming in and you also have your checking account balance, how do you feel? When your kids are going crazy and you had a hard day at work and you come home, how do you respond? 
when that test comes back and it's bad news that you weren't ready for, what shows up in your, in your heart and your soul? When the teacher gives you a pop quiz and you were on Snapchat instead of studying, students and some adults, what do you do when you have that moment where what is in your hand doesn't seem to be enough? I know what I do. I get scared. I make excuses. I try to get out of that situation. But Jesus does something so different. He gives thanks when it felt like there wasn't enough. When he felt like there was scarcity and there was lack, he says, God, thank you. The theologian and writer Ann Voskamp says that this is the Eucharisto, the idea of thanksgiving before a miracle, that your and my gratitude might be what precedes God's movement. And as you perhaps have heard, if you've heard that story before, they not only separate and pass out all the food to feed everybody that they were satisfied, but there was 12 full baskets of leftovers. Because God never is just enough. He's always more than we thought. And yet we have this perspective shift that I think is an invitation for you and for me that so often I wait to say thank you after the miracle. But Jesus had the kind of faith that said, God, I don't know what the future holds. I trust you, and so I'm grateful. And so those 15,000 people left the hillside that day. Everyone had a story to tell. Some of them said, man, that was really cool. I don't even see where they pulled all those cartons of food out. That was really awesome. I left satisfied. That was delicious. Some people, though, left that hillside that day saying, I got to see God do something incredible. That my simple availability, my, you know, seemingly silly offering of five loaves and two fish, me doing something simple, God used it to do something supernatural. See, Jesus could have easily said to his disciples, you know, these people need something to eat. He goes, let's just walk over the hill. And I brought Sizzler out of the future, and you can just kind of have at it. Like, all you can eat Chick-fil-A, even on a Sunday. Like, whatever it might be, he could have done something like that. And it would have been like, whoa, that's amazing. But instead, early in his ministry, he says, I want you to participate. You do something. There's a role for you to play. There's a spot for you in my mission being accomplished. And I think that's something that is so different about Jesus than the way of religion. Because, see, the way of religion is to hoard power and influence. And perhaps if you grew up in a religious context, you have felt often powerless when it came to your faith. When it came to your standing with God, when it came to even knowing how to do something. For thousands and thousands of years, different religions have hoarded the spiritual truth only to have certain people even have access to it. Up until about 500 years ago, the Bible was held in very, very tight quarters only by certain people, and it wasn't until the printing press came around that you even had the option to read it yourself. And that was intentional. But yet Jesus, 2,000 years ago, says, no, 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 this is for everybody. I don't, I don't know the kid's story. I certainly know that his you know, apostles that were following him around were the hot mess express, and so they didn't even know what to do. And yet he invites and empowers them. And so maybe he invites and empowers you, too. Maybe there's something that God sees in you that you don't even see in yourself. And when you feel like you don't have enough or that you aren't enough or that you are powerless, 
God says, that might be right. On your own, you're a little screwdriver trying to put up a shelf. But when you trust in me and do things my way, when you align your life with my mission in the world, there's power to be found. And it's still you fulfilling your role, but there's power behind it that says there's something more that can be accomplished. See, throughout the entire New Testament, especially in the four Gospels, almost every single miracle that Jesus did was assisted by an everyday, ordinary person like you and me. Almost every single one. This is so crazy to me because it was so uncommon at the time. In John chapter 2, he turns water into wine, but instead of saying, no, the wine's not out, go check again. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. He asked the servants to participate and to fill huge jars with gallons and gallons of water so that they would know that something had happened through their participation in his miraculous work. In Matthew chapter 8, when he heals a man from leprosy, he says, go show yourself to the priest. Again, if he was trying to make a name for himself, he'd be like, check it out, everybody. I did that. That was me right there. You're welcome. Right? But instead, he gives this man permission to go back to the religious system and say, hey, I'm going to disappear so much so that people didn't know who had done the miracle. When he healed the man who could not walk in Luke chapter 5, he looks up at the people who tore a hole in the roof of his childhood home and said, it's because of your faith that now this man's sins are forgiven and he's healed from his disease. When he is calming the storm, even the weather obeys Jesus, right? He uses Simon Peter's boat don't miss that. The word who was with God in the beginning, who created all things that we experience in the natural world, who later would walk on that very same lake without a boat, says, Peter, I'm in need of your boat because I want you there with me to see what's going on. I need your boat. When he raises a rich man's son in John chapter 4, he trusted the servants to communicate. He'd even take the PR for himself. When he heals a lame man, he asks him, do you want to be healed? There's a whole sermon series in that one. Do you want to be healed? Do you want the responsibility that comes with the opportunity that I'm offering to you? When he heals a blind man, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, he asks his, Lazarus' his family members to roll the stone away for him. And we know this is real because they respond. I love the King James translation of this. But Lord, he stinketh. He had already begun to be decaying in their brain because he was dead for four days. And he goes, no, 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 I want you to see that God's up to something. So will you move something? Will you take something that's been blocking what I want to do in your life out of the way? Do you, you trust me enough to obey me when it doesn't seem like it's going to work? But I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm going to invite, I'm going to include, I'm going to empower you. All but two of Jesus' miracles in the Gospels include other people. Include other people. Everyday, ordinary, flawed, doubt-filled, frustrated, sinful people just like me and just like you. And so what if that's the same story that Jesus is trying to write? What if just like on that hillside that day, almost 2,000 years ago, there's two options for you as you come and engage with church. You can leave, hey, that was great. I feel satisfied. I feel fed. Or do you come with something to offer as little as it might feel, as scarce as it might be, with your time, with your resources, with your energy, with your attitude. See, there's so many times in my mind when I'm going, like, God, I got to do this thing. And, and, and at times, church and following Jesus can even feel like mundane and it's, it's old and it requires something that can get tiring. And, and I had this challenge this week of going, God, do, do I got to or do I get to? Like, do, do I got to do these things? Is it an obligation? 
Or is it an opportunity? Do I get to? And let me tell you what the Spirit of God told me. Everything's an opportunity. Everything. You get to anything. Fill in the blank. Well, I got to go to work. You really don't. Try it. Someone else might take your job if you don't. But you get to go to work. Well, I got to pay these bills. Try it. You also don't got to live indoors either. Everything about our life is a shift in attitude. And when we say, hey, I get to be a part of what God is doing, not I got to, the empowerment of God rushes into your life and your story, rushes into your marriage, rushes into your business, rushes into how you parent or grandparent, rushes into how you engage in worship because you get to. You get to. So what are you going to do with the opportunity given you? Like, from this day on, what are you going to do with the opportunity that God has given you? What are we as a community going to do with the opportunity God has given us? Places are one of the most beautiful places on the planet to live with over three million people, many of whom don't have a connection to a church that preaches Jesus. What are we going to do? Are we going to continue the pattern of religion that says it's only for the select few, including not us? Or are we going to say, God, are you empowering me to speak life and to speak belief into perhaps someone else? Is there a space in your world, even this week, where you can say, I'm going to invest in someone that's younger than me at work or in your neighborhood. I'm going to speak belief into my teenager rather than criticize them. I'm going to say, hey, I don't have all that I need, but I have more, right? I have more than I used to, and so I want to be a part of offering. Even this little thing doesn't feel like a lot. I want to offer it to God to be used for his purposes, whether that's financial, whether that's energy, whether that's your words of affirmation, whether that's just a loving embrace or a high five to someone that you don't know what they're walking in here with. You don't know what God's done or what the enemy has done in their world this week. What if the ministry of our church has nothing to do with this platform and has everything to do with you? That's the kind of culture we want to create. That's the kind of people we want to be. And so my challenge, my invitation for you this week, church, is don't outsource your opportunity. There's an opportunity God is laying in front of you. And you and I have a choice. Are we going to outsource that to someone else? Or are we going to grab hold of it and say, I'm actually empowered to be a part of this thing. I'm actually empowered to say, this is not just an organizational why. This is my why. That if Jesus empowered you, how can you empower someone else? How can you receive the responsibility of that opportunity and step into that bigger story? How can you step into that bigger story so that you leave each day, either at church or at work in your neighborhood, like that little boy probably left that hillside thousands of years ago, saying, I just thought I was bringing my lunch. My mom was smart enough to pack a lunch for me. Thanks, Mom. I just thought I was going out to be a part of the crowd, but God selected and chose and empowered me to be a part of something incredible. And I just did something simple. God did something supernatural. And so as we step into this future together as a church, we want to be a place that empowers. We want to be a culture that is empowering. One that says you and I have a role to play and that God actually believes that you can do something incredible through his power in your lifetime. But it begins with gratitude. It begins with gratitude. To say, God, thank you for what you've done already. Thank you for what you've done in this church already. Thank you for what you've done in my life and through people that have come into my story 
already. And so as we continue to sing and to celebrate communion together, we thought we would do it a little bit differently this morning to actually practice what it is that we see in this passage that Ann Voskamp references as that gratitude precedes a miracle. And when you came in, in the seat back pocket directly in front of you, there's a little piece of paper and a pen. And I would invite you to grab that because what we want you to do is to write on that piece of paper, thank you for. And then in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do this, but in a moment, we want you to take it and, and go back to our prayer wall and actually put that piece of paper, you can fold it up, and put it in that wall to mark a symbol of remembrance. So we want to be a place that begins with gratitude. That's one of my favorite features in our whole building. And throughout the week, people will pray over the prayer requests that are in that wall. There are people that are trusting God for things. There are people that are celebrating miracles and praising God for things. There are people that are begging God for things. And all of those things are good and welcome. And I'm sure that you, like me, have the list of things that you want God to do and things you want to ask him for. But for just a moment this morning, as a community, can we practice putting those things aside for just a second and asking What am I thankful for already? What am I grateful for already? Because some of you, you you have a miracle that you need to celebrate that happened in your life this month. Some of you are sitting next to a miracle. Some of you, there are things that you have long forgotten where God was faithful, where he showed up when he didn't have to. He invited you and included you when you had made a mess of your life. That ultimately for all of us, as we put those prayer requests in the wall and then go to receive communion, we all have gratitude that Jesus gave his life so that you and I could have new life. And I don't know where you're at on the spiritual spectrum. I don't even know if you believe that's true or not, but you got to understand that the night before Jesus would go to the cross, he sat his friends down and he broke bread and he poured wine. He goes, this is actually a, a familiar old thing that you're used to, but this is new bread and new wine. This has new meaning. That this is like my body that's going to be broken for you. This is going to be like my blood that's poured out, the only sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. It's going to be poured out so that all of your sins, all of my sins, all the ways we miss it, all the ways we script, all the ways we well-intentionally try to do it on our own and miss God's best for our life, all the places that we look for love, apart from Jesus. All of that can be forgiven, can be covered, can be restored. And so you might have had a terrible week. You might be in the middle of a terrible season. But the God of the universe looks at you with compassion. And for that, we all have something to be thankful for. And so I would encourage you to write it down. In a moment after I pray, you can take it and put it in that prayer wall and then receive the elements. If you're here and you uh, want to participate in communion, we invite you to do that. We have gluten-free options available so that nobody misses out on marking this moment to celebrate the fact that the God of the universe is here and wants to do something in your life and is inviting you to be a part of his mission. So as you finish writing, if you're able, I invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship and celebrate communion and sing together. Jesus, thank you that you did not hoard power or hierarchy for yourself, but you readily gave it away. As I look at my own life at times, God, I feel like that was a a bad investment, but yet if I pause and listen to what you say is true, 
that you love and desire to move through us. Then God, I want to let go of my old stories. I want to let go of my old ways. I want to let go of my old patterns and I want to open myself up to something new that you want to do in through my life. For us as a church, as a community, God, would we, would we pause and just say thank you that you move when you didn't have to move, that you provide in ways we can't explain, that you put people in our path and in our story that walked us through the darkest valley that you gave yourself for me. You gave yourself for us. So God, I pray that in this moment as we express our gratitude and we anticipate a miracle and we stop and celebrate what you want to do, what you have done and what you will do. Thank you for this church that has faithfully pointed people to you for 15 years. Thank you for how we've seen each other and walked together and whether we're been a part of this story for a long time or we're just joining it this morning would we see that you want to invite us into a bigger story a bigger narrative that says it's all about you moving in through our life so we can align ourselves with you Jesus and so receive our gratitude receive our praise as we receive your sacrifice it's in your name we pray amen